Roger Anderson is voice and brain behind the Kitchen Counter podcast, part of the Nitty Grits Network. What prompted him to start a podcast? How has he found success? And what has he learned? We talk about food podcasts. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Roger Anderson, creator and host of the popular podcast, The Kitchen Counter, which just happens to be part of the Nitty Grits Podcast Network. We are so lucky to have him both on the network and here. Hi, Roger. Hi, Liz. Happy to be here. I'm very excited to talk to you about your podcast and basically, you know, get the sort of origin story. How did you decide to to begin a podcast? Uh, that's a good question. And, and I, I've thought about this in recent months. And I remember now, now I, I consider myself like the second wave of podcasts. I'm not an old school podcaster, but I'm pre-serial, if everybody knows the right. I, I started my show, I think, a month before serial came out. So I was like, shoo, I, I beat the <laughs> I beat the 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 serial line there. But um I, I just remember discovering podcasts one day, probably when I got an iPhone uh-huh. and you know, I could get to them easier or something. And I thought, what is this? It's like a whole world of interesting stuff on just a a huge variety of topics. And I think I found history podcasts and I was like, I've never, I've never heard anything like this on demand before. You get good stuff like on, uh, you know, public broadcasting or whatever radio shows, but it's like, I could listen to them in the car whenever I wanted to. And I just thought it was the coolest medium in the world. And for many years, I just was a podcast listener. And then one day I thought, you know, this would be kind of fun to do. I was looking for a creative outlet. Uh Uh-huh. And I thought maybe I could do this and what would I talk about then? And so I had to sit down and think, what would I, what would I talk about? And I thought, well, there doesn't seem to be a lot of cooking podcasts in the way that I would think of how I would do one. Mm-hmm. And I like to cook and I, food is a big part of my life. So let's do that. So I did. Ah, well, that's, that's really, I mean, that's really interesting because you just said, I'm just going to do what I'm interested in, which I think is uh, the best kind of podcast, really. Um, so how how did you kind of work your way through it? Um, did you research podcasts? You know, what what did you do to to make it work? Well, back then it was a lot smaller universe of podcasts, and there was a handful of when like, when was your first podcast? Oh, uh, I think it was in. Oh my gosh, I probably should have looked this up. I think it was at the end of 2014, like Q4 2014, maybe September. So it's been a while. Okay. Um, yeah, 2014. So back then there was a lot fewer podcasts about anything, but also podcasts about podcasts, right? So I listened to a ton of those. Okay. And there was one school of podcasting, Dave Jackson, really cool guy. And I kind of reached out to him and chatted with him a little bit. And he, he had this thing where he would, I'm not a super technical person. Mm-hmm. So he had this program where, you know, for like one nominal fee, he'd set up your podcast for you, you know, technically. Oh. Uh-huh. 
and, uh, you know, kind of push it off the dock, so to speak. And I, so I did that. And then it was just kind of rolling from there. So I did a lot of research, but when, when it came time to it, I thought I better find somebody who just knows a little bit more about this (laughs) than I do. Cause I don't want to screw it up again, a lot simpler times in the podcast world, but that's, that's how I did it. And I'm assuming that you weren't sitting in your closet um, the way some people do podcasting or anything like that. I, I wasn't. I'm a little bit of a gear nerd. So I like the accoutrements. You know, I like the, yes. the microphone and all this stuff, but I, I'm not now. I'm just sitting in my office, which I'm sure is terribly acoustic wise, right? Or terrible acoustic wise. Um, I, I tried um, going into the closet once and it did sound good, but I'm like, how would I even? Like, what am I going to do? Put my computer on an ironing board every time I want to record? This doesn't make any sense. So I just had to get practical about it. So I thought this is, this is good enough. And so do you ever do any of it in your kitchen while you're cooking? Sometimes. Yeah. A while back, somebody emailed me and said, Hey, there's this podcast that, and I can't remember the name of it. And I don't think it exists anymore, but this person goes into her kitchen and she cooks recipes audio and audio only, but she uh-huh. talks through them and she, and they said, you should try this. And I thought that sounds kind of fun. So I've done a few episodes like that and they do go over very well. It's a, it's a, quite a different thing because it is live and I try to do them unedited. So I try to pick recipes that take an hour or less to do and, yeah. and actually go through it. That's a very difficult to do. I have a great respect for people that go on camera and can just talk, yes. you know, right from the tip of their mind. And, and it's, it's a very hard thing to do without like repeating yourself and getting, you know what I mean? And, and just filler yeah. words. Right. Um, so I don't do those a whole lot, but they are quite fun. So I do some in my kitchen and I've done a few, but not many, like in the field going mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. Um, again, logistically, they're just a little trickier to pull off. Right. Right. And to get the sound quality that you can actually overcome whatever ambient sound there is. Sometimes that's hard too. And sometimes the ambient sound is great because maybe you're in a cafe and you want a little bit of that, but you're right. Sometimes it's hard to, you get back and you listen to it and you're like, yikes, that's not going to work. And then what do you do? You're back at square one. And I take a, unfortunately for me, I take kind of a, uh, a laissez-faire approach to my podcast. I'm not super strict on the schedule. So if I don't like something, I just won't release it and I'll just wait and do something else another time, you know? So Right. Which works for me because I don't want to get too caught up in the, oh my gosh, it's deadline day. It is a hobby. So I want to, I want to keep it fun. <laughs> I I have never done podcasting in the kitchen where I've, I've been recording it as the host. I've been in other people's podcasts in the kitchen where I was just talking to the person who was the host. But the hardest thing I find is actually cooking and talking at the same time so that you're actually advancing the cooking. And I used to be on a television show here in New Orleans. Um, every other week, I was all trading with somebody else. And we did a little five minute or less spot for the news. And um, you have to really, really think ahead of time about what you're going to say because first of all, you had to have it prepared because it was only five minutes, but mm-hmm. also you had to, um, you, you had to be able to talk as you were doing it. And that's really hard. And then they're always whispering to you and look at the camera, you know, while you're put your head down, while you're making sure that nothing burns. Or whatever. Right. I, I found that really, really hard. And it gave me a new respect 
for anybody who does television cooking shows on a regular basis, because the kind of prep you have to do for that, just thinking about somebody like Julia Child, who was actually making it up as she went along, that was just extraordinary what she did. It's funny you say about thinking ahead because you're right. The first live one I did was risotto and I love it and I cook it all the time. And I have this bad habit of thinking like five minutes ahead of time, but not like 45 minutes ahead of time. Uh And I said, I'm stirring it and I'm getting, I'm thinking this, I'm recording. I'm like, oh, grief, I'm going to be stirring this for like 20 minutes. What am I going to talk about? And I think I said the word creamy like 600 times. And I listened (laughs) back. I'm like, yikes, I need to think, I need a thesaurus and I need to plan a little better. I sounded so goofy when I listened back to it, but I thought, well, it was a good learning opportunity. I kind of know what I need to do to do these things, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's not easy to do off the cuff. No. So now that you've been doing your podcast now for several years, how did you uh, change it? How has it evolved and how do you kind of let it evolve? How much interaction um, in terms of your your taking feedback from your listeners, is there and how much is it just, mm, I think I'll try this because I heard it on somebody else's podcast and it kind of sparks something in you to change because you like what they did. Even if it's not a food podcast, it might be something else. So tell us about that. That's that's a good question. And I, um, I'm one of the people that when somebody sends me feedback, and by the way, I should say, that's one of the things I love about doing a podcast, and especially one as an independent podcaster, is the interactions with people. You know, with a big name brand podcast, for example, they're going to email the host, perhaps, and the host will probably never read their, their email right, or right. maybe never respond. Maybe they do. I don't want to grossly overgeneralize. But I try to read all my emails. I try to respond to most of my emails. So it's a really fun give and take with the community that way. Mm-hmm. the community of my audience. Uh, so when they suggest things, I listen and um, I love criticism. I tend to take it probably a little too close to heart, but who doesn't, yeah. right? Um, or, you know, I'll read a review and it's be like, oh, why did they have this person on there? They were just selling a cookbook. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should think about that. You know, it's feedback like that. So that does direct me a little bit on what I do. Uh, but a lot of it is, what do I feel like doing? What will I have fun doing? And what do I think the audience will like? I mean, uh-huh. at the end of the day, it's my show, so I can kind of do what I want. It's like one of the few creative or outlets of any type in my life that I have complete control over. I don't know if uh-huh. you find this. It's like, I can literally do whatever I want with it. And I don't have to check in with anybody. I don't have to get approval. I don't have to run it by you know anybody. <laughs> And I love that part about it. Yes, so yes. sometimes it works and sometimes I'll stumble on something. that's like, I'm going to do that more. And sometimes it doesn't work and I don't do it again. I mean, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but no, yeah. um, it's like I said, I, I, I really envy the podcasts that have a very structured format and they do the same thing all the time. In a way, I really admire how they can do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a, a not organizationally skilled enough to do that or uh, maybe I have a little maybe my mind can't grasp and stick with a line for a year you know I mean I just have to move on to different things all the time so I guess for me the variety is important and maybe my listeners are probably like oh I wish you would just stick with a format but sometimes I'll do interviews sometimes I'll do live cooking sometimes I'll just talk about a concept or an ingredient it's just really what do I feel like and I try to plan but you know it doesn't um, always work Yeah. yeah Yes. And you also have to be flexible because if an opportunity arises, 
you want to be able to take advantage of it. You can just reschedule some other idea that you had for, for that day and do something else if, if the right thing comes, comes along. And I don't know how many times I have planned a topic for an episode. I've like bulleted it out. I don't script it. I bullet out. So I mm-hmm. try to stay on track, but I'm not, you know, just reading. And I, t- no, no kidding, like two days or a day before I'm going to record, I'm like, oh, I'm going to talk about celery root instead. Like, I don't know why I would want to do that, but that's what I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden I'm like scrambling, right? I'm like, I don't want to talk about topic A. I'm going to pivot. I do that all the time. It dry, I drive myself nuts, but, um, you know, hopefully it adds a little spontaneity to things. So if you decided, let's say, to talk about celery root, would you just go to the store and buy tons of it and then just kind of play with it? Do you start looking up recipes for celery root in all of your cookbooks and online? How, do, how would you prepare for that? I guess it depends on how familiar I am with whatever I'm talking about. There's some things I could just talk about right now and it'd be fine. Celery root's not one of those things. I don't use it that much, but I do like it. Um, yeah. So for me, a lot of times it just starts with reading my books. What, what do I have on the shelf that might address that? You know, various cookbooks, doing some online research, because you, as you know, any ingredient you could go a hundred different ways. Oh, sure. Yeah. And you could talk about it a hundred different ways, not even how you would cook it necessarily. There's just so much, like you could have a whole podcast on celery root probably and have episodes, right? So what do I do if I want like a 25 minute or a 30 minute chunk? And actually I didn't even do celery root. I did like root vegetables. So I did like an even a little broader, broader. you know, just like an intro. If mm-hmm. you're home cooking, you never worked with a root vegetable or at least not the common ones, you know, everybody's worked with a potato. Right. carrots right but what about right. rutabagas and um you know jicama or whatever beets yeah beets turnips. celery root turnips parsnips yeah whatever and um so just kind of see what makes sense to like it's easily digestible mm-hmm. and then yeah go to the store pick some up try some things out and then share experiences yeah yeah i try to position it in a way where it's like i'm not, i'm really not i know how to cook and i can cook a lot of things i love to teach but i'm not a chef uh-huh. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I guess I'm a subject matter expert, but I don't, I don't come to you like, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about celery root. Cause I know everything about celery root. I don't. <laughs> so it's really like, let's sit at the counter. Right. And I'm going to tell you what I learned about celery root, or I'll tell you what I know about this ingredient or how I like to make something. Yeah. Yeah. I have to tell you about celery root in my experience. I had never eaten celery root until I lived in Germany and they eat it there all the time. And of course, it's a root vegetable and root vegetables don't do that well in the South, in New Orleans, because it's so wet and everything rots in the ground. So horseradish can make it, but even horseradish, you know, can be a problem. So we have we sweet potatoes or, you know, that's like our most reliable kind of right. root vegetable. And uh, so, of course, I'd heard of celery root, but I hadn't eaten celery root. And they make this wonderful julienne raw celery root salad, which is just fabulous. And they they make a, a kind of a mayonnaise that, that they mix it with. And then you have this very nice, little bit crisp, fresh um, root thing that you're eating, which is just really delightful. And so I've, when I discovered it, 
I, every place I went, I was like, oh, there's celery root on the menu. And I would get it and I would get it. And I started buying it in the grocery store and playing with it and everything. And, and then when I came back to America, I lived in Germany for three years. It wasn't always available. So I, I really kind of got intrigued then by the idea of vegetables and fruits and other kinds of foods that aren't readily available. And that, that pursuit of all the weird things, you know, became something that I became interested in. So I'm glad that you like celery root because it's, it's delicious. I really love it. <laughs> it's surprising. It's incredibly ugly, right? If you, if you knew, didn't know what it was and you saw it in the story, you'd be like, why would I even, what, what would I do with that alien looking thing? Right. Right. But it's, it's delightful. Like you said, it's, it's, it's herby. It's tastes a little bit like celery. It's like a celery parsley type of thing going on. It's, but yeah, it's the great. tops taste just like celery. So, well, yeah. I mean, they are celery, I guess, essentially. Right. So it, you can kind of understand it, but the, the root doesn't have the same kind of strong celery taste. Yeah. And it doesn't have that sort of, um, uh, dry taste that celery has. Uh, it's much juicier and crispy and I, I like it. And as wet as celery actually is, because it's so full of liquid, it just has that kind of dryness in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Kind of almost like an astringent. In yes, a way. very astringent. Yes, yeah. yes. And the celery root does not have that. Yeah. Yeah. And so how much editing do you do? Um, because sometimes you have guests and you push, put that into your podcast along with other kinds of materials. And um, how do you work that in? Yeah, I do a ton of editing. I, I'm not one of these, um, especially like now I conversations like with another person, like with you, Liz, much easier for me because I'm, I'm not like second guessing what I'm saying. And when you're doing like a monologue type of a show, uh, yeah. you know, it's a lot more difficult because mm-hmm. I know I'm going to edit. So I take a lot of breaks and I redo a lot of things. I make, a, make it a lot more work for myself, unfortunately. Um, and sometimes I probably every third show I do, I completely re-record. I'll re-record. I'll record if it's me. Uh-huh. I'll listen to it. I'm editing it. I'll get it about three quarters of the way through and I'll be like, I don't like this. I'm just going to not do this. I'm going to record it again in a couple of days. Wow. Uh, I, I, so I do a lot of editing, um, but yeah, if I have a guest, usually if I have an interview, most of the time that will be the topic of the show. And I, I record that at a different time and then I edit it and sort of draw, I'll do the intro uh-huh. and the outro later. And then I drop the interview into the, the show and do it that way. Um, I, I would love to try to do more interesting audio design and things like that and editing, but I mean, it just takes a lot of work and I'm totally solo, you know? So as as you know, it's just, (laughs) there's only so many hours in a day. So I Uh do the best I can, but yeah, tons of editing. I enjoy it though. It's, it's rewarding. So how did you learn how to edit? Um, Yeah. I remember downloading audacity, Uh which is like a free open source, um, pretty powerful audio workstation. Mm-hmm. And I just started doing the real basic stuff, you know, cutting, cutting ums and ahs out, uh-huh. figuring out how to fix, you know, putting, putting them back together. So it sounds natural, uh-huh. that kind of stuff. And it took me a long time to get, like, I finally have graduated to Adobe audition. I actually took a class a couple of years ago from Berkeley online um, for podcasting. 
telling stories and sound, I think is what it was called. Really cool class. And that introduced me to using audition and just being a little more intentional about how you edit mm-hmm. and understanding multi-track editing. I mean, this is probably not that interesting to folks who, who are podcasters, but it just, it, I'm like, okay, well, I took the class. I should probably try using it. And I love it now. And, and I just really enjoy the production side of podcasting along with the teaching and the talking and the sharing but there's something very rewarding about creating something yeah and putting it out in the world and you know people listen to it it's just it's very fun and so what do you do especially how did you do it in the beginning to make people know about your show and how do you do it now well one thing i learned and like with any entrepreneurial adjacent type things. You know, there's a lot of stuff out about podcasting, like do this, do that. You'll have 10,000 listeners. You're going to make a bunch of money. I never really approached it that way, which was good because it took a really long time for (laughs) me to really build an audience of any type. Uh And I'm a terrible self-promoter. I'm like, I'm embarrassed by self-promotion. I'm just not good at it. Uh So for me, it was just staying somewhat consistent and putting it out where people would find the podcast and doing some social media stuff, you know, and eventually you just start building a following and, and really it's word of mouth. I mean, if you really want a popular podcast or if you want to get in the most ears, putting it out is fine in places, but if you're not famous and you don't have an audience already, it's really somebody hears your show and likes it and tells somebody else about it. And that's what I tell folks. Like if you get value out of the show, I'm not telling anything to anybody, but I mean, if the, if the stuff I'm sharing is interesting to you, if you learn something, maybe your family members would find it interesting or your friends. So maybe tell them about it yeah. and tell them how to find podcasts because a lot of people still don't, don't know, know how to find podcasts. Right. That's so right. that's really what it was for me, but it took a lot of years, uh, you know, to get any sort of a consistent consistently growing audience, I guess I should say. So that's one thing folks should know if they want to launch a podcast, you're not going to wake up one day and be famous and have, you know, thousands and thousands of listeners. Right. That, that's right. like catching lightning in a bottle, right? That rarely happens. Right. It does happen. It does, but, but yeah, probably won't. <laughs> it's, it's one of those extraordinary lightning strikes. That's all. Yes. Um, yes. 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 But I think that's the benefit of doing it because you want to do it. You're not doing it in order to have all these listeners. You're doing it because you're enjoying yourself, which I have to tell you, um, Roger, when I listen to your podcast, I can tell that all the time. And that makes it a real pleasure to listen to it because it's like, this is fun. And I really credit you with um, probably encouraging people who might be reluctant in the kitchen to get in there and try, which I think is a really important, uh, an important sort of maybe not direct reason why you're podcasting, but one of those great secondary um, results of your podcast, which I think is wonderful. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I'm glad you say that because that is really, it is really one of my goals is I just want people to cook for themselves. And I don't know how much, how we're doing on time, but we're doing just fine. Okay. One thing I would say, and I want to talk about for just a second, if you're okay, Uh is um, like when you, if you are, how do I say it? I think there's a real lack for a lot of people who want to cook to have some sort of a support system for cooking. That sounds weird. Like, what do you mean a support system for cooking? Well, I had a support system in my family. So I watched my mom cook and she taught me how to cook and I watched my dad grill or pickle things or whatever. 
My siblings love to cook. So it's always been something we can talk about and are interested in and our, our family's culinary history or whatever. I think for a lot of people that doesn't exist. So they turn to media sources for that. Mm-hmm. And what you find mostly are like competition shows or celebrity chef shows, or on the other side of the spectrum, you have like diet gurus. And so there's all this food media out there. And it's I think there's really or denial. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a real vacuum for like, I don't want to force you to do anything you don't want to do. I don't care what you cook. I just want you to cook what you want to cook and get better at it and have fun doing it and feed your family like I said before, like just sitting at a counter and chatting with somebody about it. Like right. that's, I think, a valuable niche, you know, in in sort of the crowded field of other food media. I don't have anything against all the other food media. I like a good cooking competition show as, ne- as much as the next person, but it, I think it often um, fosters unrealistic expectations of like me as a new home cook, like my food does not look good, right? It might taste great but it doesn't look like the stuff that comes out of these cooking competitions or shows. And your cooking shouldn't look like that. If it does, that's amazing. Right. But my mom never had, uh, you know, Instagram worthy food and I loved her food and I ate it all the time and it nourished me and, you know, created all this community around our family. Yeah. If that makes sense. I'm rambling a little bit, but. No, it totally does. Plus I think one of the artificialities of uh, the food cooking competitions is the time limitations. And there are so many things that you have to cook low and slow that really you can't do on those cooking competitions. But if you're cooking at home to save money, you can develop a lot of flavor with inexpensive ingredients if you take the time which you don't have to do on those cooking shows. Everything is like, you know, I have 20 minutes to do this, 35 minutes to do this. And that's not the best way to develop flavor. Or it's edited to look that way. That's right. Like right now, like if you go on TikTok, there's tons of food videos and they're all like 30 seconds long. And it's Mm -hmm. like, boom, here's a salmon filet. Boom, here's some salt, hot pan, butter, you know, and it's like, oh, you cooked an entire salmon meal in 30 seconds. It annoys me to watch those. That's not what real life is. It's fun to watch and it stimulates some, you know, lizard part of my brain to watch it. But I think like, if you've never cooked before, you're thinking like, yeah, I can whip out a salmon dinner in no time. Well, it's not, it's quick, but it's not quite that quick. Right. You know what I mean? So I I hate that kind of stuff. It's just, so I think people just need to worry less about what they think they should be cooking and just cook what you want to cook. No, I, I take your time. And it goes for prep too. Like the knife skills thing I've talked about before. You don't need to chop an onion in three seconds. Right. 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 It's just, there's no need to know how to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a chef and you can do it, that's cool. But the home cook, take your time, enjoy the process. And it's better to take longer than to cut your finger off. (laughs) Yeah. That too. That too. (laughs) Okay, so tell us how it is that a person can find you. Yeah, um, probably the easiest way is just to go to my website, which is kitchencounterpodcast.com. I'm on, I lurk on most of the socials. I'm not super active, but I'm on Instagram and all the links are on my website. So that would just be the easiest place to go. But we also have a private Facebook group, uh, which is a lot of fun. Home cooks can, can join and it's, you know, it's no spam. It's just very low key. People can share pictures or ask questions or 
it's a good group of folks. So that's something if, if, if you're a Facebooker to check out mm-hmm. um, and Twitter and things like that, but kitchencounterpodcast.com would definitely be the place to start. And you're also on the Nitty Grits podcast network. That's right. Southernfood.org and proud to be. I'm, yeah. I'm so grateful to be a part of that group. So I have started something new that I just wanted to tell you about. Yeah. That is something called Meat and Three. And it is a two minute book review of a culinary book. And I'm doing one a week and they are free for radio stations to use as filler. And so if you know a radio station that might have a cooking show and they need some filler, it's on, it's on PRX exchange as well as on southernfood.org. It's something that we just decided to do to kind of get a lot of books reviewed and we're calling it like our cookbook club. And uh, so it's just for fun. I love that idea. So could, could I go to southernfood.org and listen to them? Yes, you can. Okay. So I don't have to necessarily hear it on the radio, but I might hear it on the radio, radio, but you might hear it on the radio. And um, we, we don't have any music on it or anything. So people can put it, uh, put their own music in to just, you know, have, um, have the two minutes go that way so that it gets connected to them or, uh, we even let people edit it if they only need one minute and 45 seconds, they can, you know, fix it so that they, they can use it. I started doing it once again for fun because I was reading all these books and I thought I need to let people know about all these books. And so that's, that's how I got started. That was really one of the reasons why I was asking you about you getting started because there's always that somebody has to get it going, you know, it has to start. And I'm with you. If it takes years for it to get around, well, then that's just what it is because you're doing it because it's fun. Yeah, I am going to check that out. I think it's very cool and good for you for doing that. In fact, I think I saw, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, the, the Southern Food and Beverage Museum newsletter, I think called that out. Maybe so. And you're tackling a lot of content in those two minutes. And I think you're sharing even more. Is that right on the website? On the website, we have have different resources. Right. Yes. Uh And I'm doing four every month. So one is a new cookbook. One is a vintage cookbook. One is a book about food that's not a cookbook. And one is um, about drinks. Okay. That's what I'm thinking. Cause when I saw that, I thought, Oh, you're doing four. No, that was like the monthly right. mm-hmm. schedule. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. And so there's two months that I don't know whether all of them are up yet, but at least one month is up there and the second month is done. So it should be up there in the next day or two. And, uh, um, I'm, I'm very excited about it. So that's why I'm telling you. <laughs> I think it's awesome. And I love that you're excited. It excites me. I mean, I just love this I love talking to people to get excited about things, whatever it is, right? I mean, that's what it's all about, I think. I think so too. Okay, so thank you so much, Roger, for being on on Tip of the Tongue today. And you can go to Roger's website and you can read all of his notes from the podcasts and other people's comments and 
that's one of the fun things I love about your website is just seeing what other people have said and the fact that you actually have comment notes, you know, for people so they can find the recipes or whatever. I was, it's just a really well-organized, easy to actually use um, set of things, both listening and reading about it. So I, I, kudos to you. It's really Thank beautiful. you. Thank you, Liz. I really, that means so much to me. It really does. It just I love to hear that. So thank you. And I love your show too. And like I said, I'm, it's a pleasure being on your show. I love the the network, love the Southern food and beverage museum. So this is just good stuff all around. Oh yes. What a mutual admiration society. <laughs> <we've become. laughs> so bye-bye Roger. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to tip of the tongue part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.